In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of James. Last time we reached to verse 8. But just a quick review so we know where we are. We said that the person who wrote the letter of James is most likely the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the cousin of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we said he wrote it to... Most likely, he wrote it to the whole church, but most likely the people who wrote it to were actually very poor. And they had a big problem, is that because the church was poor, then people inside the church were struggling because of all the problems that comes with poverty. But also they started treating people differently inside the church. So those who are rich are being treated uh, with favor because they have more money and people are struggling. So St. James is addressing this issue. And he, the first set of verses that we read, he talked about tribulation. And St. James said, the most important thing I ask, for, ask God during tribulation is to allow me to persevere. In tribulation, I don't care about how long it will take. And I don't care about the extent and the intensity of it. All what I care about in my prayer God, help me to persevere. Actually, I remember a beautiful holy person that I know. And uh, God allowed her to go through a big tribulation. And she said, the only thing I asked of God was to give me peace. She told him, you can take whatever you want, but give me peace. So, St. James is teaching us that during, during tribulation, I'm not asking why me. I'm not asking uh, how long is this going to take. I'm not asking look at other people. God, please help me to persevere. Now, from verse 9, St. James is going to give examples of tribulation. It's actually really beautiful what he's talking here and how to deal with these issues. He's going to talk about the tribulation that most people actually face. Most people are either suffer from source of poverty and we can take poverty to mean financial or it mean health wise or it can mean relationship wise or they actually have abundance of money or abundance of health or abundance of whatever it is so he's going to talk and deal with this problem specifically so what is the kind of tribulation and what should we do with it he says let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. So here St. James is describing lowly suggests the area, in you, the area that you're poor in. And he's talking to people in the, in the Palestine, Syria area, and a lot of them were very poor. And actually, if you open the book of Acts chapter 18, uh, chapter 11, sorry, from verse 28 to 29, there was a famine that was happening at this time. So people were quite literally poor. So he's saying, if you are poor, okay, and you are facing, facing limited resources, glory in your exaltation. He's telling you, you should be happy that you will be exalted. Okay, so where is he getting this from? Look at it in Philippians 3.21, what does it say? Who will transform our lowly body that it may be confirmed to his glorious body 
according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So saying when you are lowly and when you are poor and when you are in need, God is transforming this lowliness to glory. So when I am poor, when I'm in need, I'm actually happy because I am having access to the heavenly glory, to the heavenly exaltation. The poor person is able to participate in the glorious eternal kingdom placed in us by Christ. And you see what the, the Bible says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So when I'm in need, financially or health-wise or whatever it is, that's actually a reason for me to rejoice. Because if I rejoice in my tribulation, it will be counted for me eternally. I'm participating in the heavenly glory. And at the same time, I am being transformed by God. So what about the rich? Look what he's saying. But the rich in his humiliation. Okay? Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. St. James is saying something quite significant here. He said, you know what's the most difficult trial? It is not to be poor. But it's actually to have no problem. To have nothing in your life that forces you to change. That forces you to depend on God. By saying, let the rich in his humiliation. Those who are rich, whether they are rich financially or rich in this or rich in that, they should really look for areas where they can humble themselves. Because in these areas, this is where they'll find their glory in. This is where they will find their glory in. Uh, and, and he continues on, says, the, the, the second idea here in Hobbiul, you have led the rich in his humiliation because as a flower of the field, he will, he will pass away. When the rich exalts himself in his humiliation, he's mimicking what Jesus did. Because Jesus himself emptied himself. He says, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. One of uh, the Western, Western saints, he said something beautiful. He says, to see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. To see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. All of us have richness. All of us have richness, whether in your health, whether in your relationship. We live in the West. We are the richest people in the whole universe. All people in the West, whether you like it or not, this is reality. Okay? So we have a lot of richness. But St. James is warning us. 
that the rich must humble himself. Otherwise, he's not going to enjoy the heavenly glory. He's not going to enjoy the heavenly glory. It's a quite important message for us. Quite important message for us is to search for opportunities where I can sacrifice. And the best way, actually, is to voluntarily submit ourselves to the commandments of God. Commandments of God ask us, for example, to pray without ceasing. Anybody who asks you to give them, those who ask you to walk one mile with them, walk two miles with them. These commandments will help us to be humbled. And that will be exalted. He says, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuit. By the way, St. James is using a very famous verse in Isaiah. In Isaiah 40, uh, 6 to 8, he says, All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass, and the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So what is he saying here? He says, when you look at the rich man, when you look at a beautiful, beautiful, attractive person, when you look at this, it looks so nice, it's so beautiful, it gets you, and you want to you wanna start, you hope you can have some of the richness or some of this. What happens? He says, all fades. I was, I was uh, talking to a, a monk that we met in California, monastery, and he said something beautiful. He told me he came when he was a young man, to America and to work. And he told me what made me seek monastic life is when I looked at the world, it all looked as a garbage can in my own eyes. He says, work, go to work, come back. What am I going to get out of all of this? Nothing. So, St. James is reminding us of what's lasting. And he's saying those who are poor should be happy because they are being, they're participating in the heavenly glory. And those who are rich should be humbled because, because otherwise they're not going to enjoy the heavenly glory. There's also another way to look at these verses. Some of the scholars say what he means by rich and poor, he means the believer and the non-believers. The understanding is good, but it's less likely because this letter is actually sent specifically to churches, to people who believe. So it's specific to us. Specific to us. So now he's going to continue. He says, the poor have to be happy in their poverty. The rich have to be humble. Now he's adding more ways we can deal with temptation. He says, blessed is uh, tribulation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The Lord has promised to those who love him. So he's telling, he's telling says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for he has been approved. It's almost the person who continues to rejoice in their poverty, 
or to humble themselves in their exaltation, they, they almost became approved. They became allowed into the kingdom of heaven. That's why in the Revelation chapter 2 it says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The, the inheritance that we have, the endurance for this inheritance, will give us the endurance. The fact that I'm persevering, I'm standing strong, continues to be our source of approval into the kingdom of heaven. That's why in Romans says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I remember one of the youth when we were in uh, Georgia, the, the convent in Georgia, she said one of the nuns shared something nice with them. She told them, imagine if I give you a check for like five billion dollars, okay? And she said, imagine you have that check and I tell you, this check is yours, but under one condition. The condition is, is that you spend the next one month living like a homeless. So obviously, you live like a homeless for one month, you know, you're not showering, you don't have a lot of food, it's very uncomfortable. But what's always keeping you excited every day? It's just one month and I'm gonna be a billionaire. It's one month, I'm gonna be the richest man in the world. And this is exactly what St. James is telling us. The most important part in tribulation is perseverance, is faithfulness, is to continue to walk in the way that God have intended for me to walk. Look what St. James is saying. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. This is an, a quite important commandment. A lot of people say, why did God allow this in my life? St. James is telling us, do not say when you're tempted, I'm tempted by God. Because God does not tempt by evil. Why did God allow me to get into addiction? Why did God allow me to get into these toxic relationships? Why did God allow me to get into this bad habit? God cannot be tempted by evil. This is not from God. So, we'll, we'll explain this in, few, in, in 30 seconds, but there's a difference between tribulation and temptation. Temptation is what encourage you to sin. Like, for example, uh, you know, like somebody tempts you to go drink or to go smoke or whatever it is, lustful sins. This is not from God. Or greed, it's not from God. Maybe if there is financial tribulation, if there is sickness, God may allow these things. But God does not tempt by evil. God does not what? Tempt by evil. Look at what uh, Sirach said. He says, do not say 
Because the Lord, I left the right way. For he will not do what he hates. This is the wisdom of Surah. Do not say, do not say, do not say, because of the Lord, I left the right way. People, why don't you come to church? I don't come to church because uh, when I come to church, uh, people judge me. This is not from God. This temptation is not from God. God does not tempt by evil. This is clearly the voice of the devil. God does not do what he hates. So where does this evil come from? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So where this evil temptation comes from? It comes from when I look at my own desire and I allow temptation to continue to take over my own desires. By the way, desires in itself is not wrong. People could have good desires. And our Lord Jesus Christ had good desires. He actually told the disciples, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat the Passover with you. Okay? But the problem is that the desires, our desires, must be sanctified, must become holy. Otherwise, next verse will tell us what happens. The, the actually... The, the word desires in, in Greek, it was just, it has a singular, it's not a plural uh, name. It means, he's talking about a, an overall concept of desire. You're, you're the, the, the main desire that drives you, that makes you sin, that makes you tempted. It says, then when, he is de when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Desire. When it conceives, it conceives sin. So if I leave my desires without sanctification, without purifying my desires, it will sin. That's the whole thing about, I like to do this. What's wrong? This is something I like. This is something I'm passionate about. This is something I want to do. Yes, but did you sanctify it? Did it become according to God or just only according to you? Because... Sin always brings death. When I start isolating myself from people, that's death. When I start judging people left and right, that's death. When I stop growing with God, that's death. When I feel I am better than everybody and I know what I'm doing, that's death. Sin always brings death. And some people can see death coming, see it coming. And because of their desires, they can't stop it. How many conversations you have people, with people and say, Oh, I know weed is not good for you, but it just makes me feel good, it helps me. Well, it's destroying you slowly. Right? And it's legal now, but it's destroying you slowly, and it impacts you, and you're just convincing yourself it's good. And then you're not doing well in different areas in life, but you say, ah, it's not hurting me. I mean, it's making me feel good. If desire has conceived, it brings birth to sin. 
and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And actually the same analogy of a woman giving birth to death, it's used in Proverbs. It says, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depth of, her, of, of hell. He's describing the, the sin as a woman. He says, her, her in depth of hell. You know what I love about this analogy? Usually the idea of giving birth, it means a new life. But he's saying it gives birth to death. As if almost it's giving you hope that will give you life, but at the end of the day, you hope for life and you find completely the opposite. You find complete death. It's, a, it's an important thing. Look, it is quite important for us to be so honest with ourselves. We can come up with all excuses in the world to cover up my true intention and what I'm trying to do. But St. James says in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not attribute, it, attribute God to doing evil in your life. He does not tempt you by evil. When you scroll on social media and start looking at inappropriate things or whatever it is, that is not from God. Why does God allow me to look at this? He should prevent me. It's not God who's tempting you. Okay? Last question for today. So by the way, the verse has not brought any devil in this. Look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So who drives me to sin? My own desires. What opens the door for the devil? My own desires. Is that clear? So it is important to know this. Like, the devil cannot force you to sin. My own desires open the door for the devil. Okay? Sounds good? So then he's saying, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Okay? So then, where do I get the strength to continue, to persevere? Look what he says here. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. There is no variation or shadow of turning. What is he saying here? By the way, if you look at the original Greek, the two gifts are not exactly the same meaning. Actually, there are two different words. One, the first gift, it says every good gift and every perfect gift. The first gift usually means the act of giving or the initial state of giving. The second meaning of gift it means when the gift is perfected. So what is he saying here? He says every initial gift that God gives and every perfection that is attained from heaven 
attained in your life is from above, is from heaven. So the beginning and the perfection is from above. How do I persevere in temptation? It is a gift from above. So I must ask from above. And how should I ask? Like St. James said earlier, you should not ask while you are without faith, while you are double-minded. You must ask with faith. He's giving you the recipe on how to deal with, with temptation. The expression, by the way, the father of lights, it's, it's, quite, it's, a, it's a something that's been used in the Old Testament a lot. You'll see it in Psalms 136 and Jeremiah 31. In many places in the Gospel, they would usually attribute the sun and the moon as the children of God. He'd be like, God is the father of lights because he created them. But look what he's saying here. He's the father of lights whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So when you have the sun and the moon, you know, sometimes you see the sun, sometimes you don't see the sun, sometimes you see the moon, sometimes you don't see the moon. But I said, with God, there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's the father of light, but not any light. His light does not change. It's fixed. Okay? So where do I get, where do I get this power to persevere? It's through the gifts that comes from heaven. Origen says, the soul is prog progressively enlightened and it's a sense after resurrection. So in tribulation, step by step, I'm being enlightened, I'm being given gifts by God that eventually I may achieve perfection. Look what he's telling you in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So it's almost as telling you, God wants you to have that perfect gift. So when you're asking God for a perfect gift or a good gift, it's actually his will to give it to you. I remember one of the saints I was reading to, she said, Jesus demands that I become a saint. God wants us to be holy. He says, he brought us forth. By the way, the word brought us forth is almost give birth to us, begotten us. And you'll see here, it's almost a spiritual birth. You see it in, in First Peter also spoke about it. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's almost he gave us a new birth, a new life, a spiritual birth. And you know what's so beautiful when he talks about you have to almost, you're almost being get a born from God. It's almost like if you want that perfect gift, you have to start from the bottom. You have to go back as a child. You have to be born in a spiritual way. You have to be born as a child. And this is the will of God. What is the will of God? He says, how are we, first of all, how are we born? By the word of truth. How is this begotten happens? It's by the word of God. There's a constant 
a spiritual life that extends in us as we read the scripture. Why? That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creature. Who is our first fruit? Our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23. But now Christ is risen from the dead and he has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep, but each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruit, afterwards those who are in Christ at his coming. So what he's saying is, he says, now God wants us to be, to have the spiritual birth, to become all new, to be a kind of first fruit, to be the image of Jesus Christ, who is the first fruit of all creatures. So what is that perfect gift that God wants to give you? Is to be a kind of the first fruits of his creature. To be the image of his only begotten son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This all happens where? In tribulation. This all happens when? In tribulation. Now, St. James continues to give more advices on what you should do in difficult times. Look what he continues to say. Now, obviously, when people are, are in tribulation or difficulties or stressed, what do they end up doing? They end up, obviously, talking too much, getting angry, getting frustrating, breaking tables, pulling their hairs, all the things that people do when they're stressed. So what is St. James saying? He says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak, slow to wrath. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Some people say, when St. James talks about be slow to speak and swift to hear, he's talking about the concept of hearing the word of God and refraining from teaching too much listening and allowing yourself to benefit and do not rush to teach. And actually, uh, one of the Jewish rabbis used to say, two ears are given to us, the rabbis observe, but only one tongue. The ears are opened and exposed, whereas the tongue is, wa is walled in behind the teeth. So God give you two ears open to hear quickly, but the tongue is hidden inside to get it, it has to take effort. Because in the time of tribulation, the time of difficulties, it is important to listen to the word of God as much as you can. Sometimes when people are, are, are going through difficult times and they start preaching and they start teaching, they actually get angry because they get their own frustration and their own problems and they try to put a spiritual flavor on it and then they go in and release it to the people. A bomb of anger in the form of spirituality. And he's saying no, that should not happen. And by the way, you see this in the, in the story um, in the story of, in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, the, all those in the, synagogue, in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath 
and rose up and thrust out him out of the city. So in the time of tribulation, St. James is encouraging us to read the scripture more and try to speak less. He says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Some people, in order to prove they, their point, they like to get angry and scream and yell and do all the stuff. You know what, what is this attitude does? It makes people feel unsafe to share their true intention and they never, transformation never happens. Transformation happens when people are comfortable to speak what's in their minds. Knowing that they will not be judged. That's why St. James says the righteousness is sown in peace. The righteousness of God does not come with anger. The righteousness of God does not come with anger. The issue is here, he's talking about, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Obviously, anger itself is an emotion that humans have. But the issue when the reaction becomes quick, without control, it easily could lead to evil. It easily could lead to lack of righteousness. Because it could easily come from the, the pride that's in our hearts or the stress that's in our hearts. It says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. After God gives us that kind of a new life through his word, now St. James is saying, take off all filthiness. You guys know the, the image in the book of Zechariah when Joshua was the high priest. This is Zechariah 3, you guys should read it today. But Joshua was a high priest who was clothed in dirt and he was standing in front of the, the throne of God. And then the devil was accusing him of all the things he's doing. And then our Lord said, no, take off all this filth from him and put on a new garment. She's saying, take off all this filthiness from you. How I'm going to take off this, the, these filthiness? I'm going to take it with meekness. Meekness, by the way, has a, has a specific meaning. You find it in First Peter 2.2. 2. It's almost like you're answering as a newborn baby. You're answering to the call of God as a newborn baby. Who's going to remove this filthiness from me? God. How am I going to do it? With all meekness. And look what he's saying here. And then he says, With meekness, I receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. One of the things that uh, I heard recently that was so beautiful, one of the fathers was saying that all virtues are inside your heart already. God has implanted inside your heart all virtues. 
and you need to go inside to discover it. God engraved his words inside people's heart. And you see this in Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, he says, And those which, word which I command you today shall be in your heart. Psalm 119 says, Your words I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. So I'm not acquiring something new. God says, put off the filthiness. Because inside already I have planted my word. So what happens in tribulation? What happens in tribulation? I ask with faith. What do I ask for? I ask, I ask for perseverance. I ask that I continue to be, to be steadfast. What kind of tribulation I have? I am either poor or I'm either rich. So all of us have some sort of difficulties in our life to live a Christian life. If I'm poor, I'm joyful because I'm participating in the heavenly glory. If I am rich, I need to humble myself and to look for the opportunities of the commandments that I may enjoy the heavenly glory. During tribulation, St. James is telling us, do not say that God is tempting you when you are tempted by evil. The tribulation of God that comes is a very specific kind of tribulation. If you say, if you do evil and say, God tempted me, you're disobeying the commandments of the scripture. Because God does not tempt by evil. And he's also telling you in the time of tribulation, listen a lot to the scripture. Don't, skip, don't speak that much. Don't try to teach that much. Let the word sit inside of you. Because when the word sits inside of you, what does it do? It gives you a new birth, a new life. And what does this new life do? It takes away all the filthiness from you so you can discover what God has put inside your heart. A recipe of how to deal with tribulation. The last verse I'm going to go through today says, But be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourself. This is amazing verse. Those who only hear and do not do are deceiving themselves. This verse should shake us. Shake us. Because we hear so, so much and people might hear 10 sermons or 20 sermons and out of those 20 sermons they don't apply a single concept in their life. People might read the Bible daily and they don't apply a single verse in their life. So God is saying you are deceiving yourself. Because you hear, hear, hear and do nothing. Do nothing. The Bible has, yes, does have the power to give us this new life, but also requires us encourages us to obey the commandments of God. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ says, Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we, have, we, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lowliness.
So don't just be happy that you're coming and listening. But every time I listen, I must see what I can do, what I can apply. Otherwise, I'm deceiving myself. And he will continue to talk about this. And by the way, this is quite healthy. Because if I am in tribulation, if I focus on my own tribulation, I'm going to get depressed. I'm going to feel weak. But if I focus on the commandments of God during tribulation, God gives me a goal. I become goal-oriented. And I become more resilient. And I become more focused. And I still see the reward that God gives me in my life. And He's with me in the time of tribulation. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.